Welcome back to Half the Battle. I'm your host, as always, Daniel Levy, your guest co-host, John Kelly. Today, we're going to talk about UFC Vegas 76, Sean Strickland versus Abus Magomedov, and it's going down this Saturday night live at the Apex in Las Vegas, Nevada. You got the top five, Sean Strickland, taking on the former PFL finalist, Abus Magomedov, who's got a wealth of experience, just not in the UFC. And John Kelly, we're going to find out Saturday night if he's a top five guy or not yeah super excited to talk through it with you dan thanks for having me on as always always a good time to uh chop it up with you and i'd like to hear your thoughts about we i mean we got a pretty fun card not a ton of high names but definitely some action-packed fighters that i hope we can dig into here absolutely so let's not even waste any time john because first up the main event of the evening in the middleweight division. We got Sean Strickland. He's 26 and five, taking on Abus Magomedov, who's 25 and four. And currently they got it. Sean Strickland minus 170. The comeback on Abus Magomedov is plus 145. So listen, off, off the bat, we understand why Sean Strickland's favored here. I mean, he's got vastly more UFC experience. When it comes down to volume, we know he can pump it out. I mean, evidence, look at his fight he had with Jared Cannonier. I mean, let's not even look at his fight with Jared Cannonier. Look at his most recent fight against Nasruddin Imovov. Close to 200 significant strikes landed in a five-round fight. Now, before that with Jared Cannonier, over 150. So this is a guy that can consistently put up the kind of output that me as a gambler likes, that you as a DFS player slash gambler also likes. He's got the output. Unfortunately, most likely we're probably not going to see any knockdowns from the Strickland side, just more output. So I'd say if there is a big finish, that's where you kind of pivot towards Abus Magomedov. And not just because he got, you know, Dustin Stoltzwist out of there in 20 seconds. Go back and watch his regionals. Go back and watch his PFL uh, stint. I mean, Big power in both hands, his kicks, his guillotine choke. He's an experienced guy. It's just we got to see how he performs at this level. So honestly, man, a lot of people are questioning the UFC, like, why are you guys making this fight? And they said, we want to see where this kid's at right now. We want to test him right away. We felt like he showed the goods in that debut. <laughs> There's no reason to match him up with, you know, I don't know who's the equivalent of like a Dwight Grant or something like that. There's no reason to go there. Like, let's get him in there with a top five guy right away and let's see if he's the goods or not, John Kelly. Yeah, and I think you hit on the the big thing there was uh, Magomedov. I think if you're going to expect a finish in this fight, I think it's clearly coming from the Magomedov side because that's historically how he wins fights. You know, he comes at you, he's going to throw everything in the kitchen sink and he's kind of a wild man on the feet. And that's why it's like, you don't really know what to expect a lot of the times when you're facing him. Now, I think as the fight gets extended, it's got to favor Sean Strickland. I think there's there's no doubt about that. You know, I, I talked about in my breakdown, like the way that Sean Strickland fights is so frustrating when you're facing him because he just kind of lulls his opponents to sleep in a sense because he basically turns all of his fights into a sparring match. And it's not the most entertaining from a, a fan standpoint. But it wins fights and it wins rounds. And I think over 25 minutes, it's going to be hard for Maga Madoff to keep up with the volume and output of Sean Strickland. Now, when you say that, I mean, look, I already gave the examples of Strickland's output, so we don't need to rehash that. However, do we have evidence that Abu slows down as fights progress? Because that's kind of where what you're talking about would, you know, would occur. Yeah, I mean, I, I want to say one of his PFL fights that got extended. I can't remember which one. Um, Sadibusi, maybe? 
I, I think that's the one. Was that the uh, it went to a decision? That yeah, he lost? it's, his, it's okay. his most recent fight that went to decision right before yeah. he fought Lewis Taylor. Yep, that's that's the one. So, I mean, it's not that he's like complete cardio gases after one round or anything like that. But I just think a guy like Strickland, who we know is going to keep up that same pace, that's where I struggled to see Magomedov at least keep up in terms of the numbers. So I think it's more like he probably needs to land those big shots and they're probably going to have to come early for him. And I mean, to John's credit, he does bring up valid points because if you watch Strickland's last fight and you're wondering to yourself, well, did he start strong and then slow down or did he start slow and then get strong as the fight progressed? It was rounds three and four, John, where Strickland had his most output. So to your credit, you know, you can make an argument that he does get better as fights progress. I mean, just to put some context on it, in round four of the Imovov fight, Strickland threw more strikes than Miles Johns has thrown in any single UFC fight, than Woodley's <laughs> thrown in, in any single UFC fight. So we know he's reliable for that output. And from time to time, I mean, you start to gas out and you're eating all those punches. I mean, he has put people down before. I mean, I know you remember what he did to Nordin Taleb back in his days at 170 pounds. And there have been some knockdowns along the way. It's just... uh how is he going to react to what's coming back at him? And I really wish that I had a more concrete opinion in terms of a pick. I just have a concrete opinion in terms of the possible ways this could go. So I know that's going to piss some people off because you guys want me to plant my flag. But if I'm not honestly feeling it, I'm not going to lie to you. I really don't know. I see it either being a volume-based decision or kind of a drowning towards the later parts of the fight for Strickland. Or something big, you know, a big left hook, a front kick to the face, a, a high kick, you know, chopping him down. So whatever the case may be, because Abus is known for that violence. But let me just say this, you know, we can't just automatically say if it goes to decision that no matter what, you know, this guy Abus is going to lose. Because, I mean, he does have a great history when fights go to decision. The rare occasion, John Kelly, that fights go to decision. You know, he's only been to decision six times. He's won five of those. And the one time he lost a decision... I mean, you got to date back all the way to 2015. I mean, we're approaching 10 years since the last time that Abus lost the decision. So I'm not writing off that possibility either because, like, when you go back and you watch the Cannoneer fight, and in no way am I comparing Abus to Cannoneer, but what I will say is this. You look at the numbers, and Strickland outlanded Cannoneer. Now, Cannoneer's output was comparable but what won him the fight was the optics of those bigger shots landing especially here at the apex not too big of a crowd you can hear the shots and when you hear that impact and you compare it to you know one big impactful shot compared to five to six jabs of strickland the judges are most likely going to like those big strikes so how many of those can he land in a five-round process that's the big question because this guy magomed has been kind of inactive you know he had his fight with lewis taylor firstly shout out to the og lewis taylor man i mean this is a guy who went out there knocked out uh magomed uh, uh, knocked out a boost in 30 seconds won the million dollars, sailed off into the sunset, and now he's the head coach of the best welterweight on planet Earth, Bilal Muhammad. But after that fight, Abus, he takes a little bit of time off. He comes back. He destroys a 12-0 and guy. Then he gets into the UFC. And, I mean, listen, we understand that Stoltzfus, you know, that's an entry-level fight. 
but he treated him like an entry-level fight, John. I mean, when you go out there and you knock a guy out in 19 seconds, there's no more. Let's give him, you know, like I said, let's give him a Dwight Grant or or whatever. And I'm sorry to pick on Dwight Grant. <laughs> I'm just trying to come up with, like, someone comp – like, Dwight Grant went to, like, a split, basically, with Dustin. That's why I'm bringing up, you know, people on Dustin Stoltzfus's level. Like, there's no reason to just keep giving this guy, you know, a couple more people to beat up. Let's get him right in there and see if he's ready. So this is going to let us know. I'm going to lean towards Strickland, but I think these odds reflect a lean towards Strickland. Nice little 170. So I don't know, man. I honestly think this might be a dogger pass situation. I just need to see more of this guy in the octagon to truly know where he's at at this point in his career. Yeah, and it sounds like we're pretty much on the same page because that was basically like I don't have a bet on the fight either, and that was basically how I see it. It's like, well, if Magomedov is going to win, it's going to probably have to come in big fashion, but I slightly lean towards Strickland just kind of outpiecing him over 25 minutes and, and winning a sparring match type of decision. Yeah, so let's see what happens. Um, and that that's why it's such an intriguing main event for me because – like, I really have no idea. So that right there in itself, when I have no idea, I'm intrigued. And, you know, Sean Strickland fight weeks are always fun. You know, he's giving, he's doing interviews. He's saying crazy shit. People are getting offended. It's always a good time. So, yeah, uh, let's see. Let's see what happens uh, on Saturday night. I mean, I could see either guy get a finish. I could see either guy, you know, win by decision. Now, granted, we already laid out who we think has more of a chance if either of those outcomes happen but I could see either of those outcomes happen for either guy. So I apologize to you guys for running around in circles. Strickland is my, my pick, but I think it might be a dogger pass situation. And uh, I think you're kind of on the same boat here. Definitely. Well, let's move on to the co-main event. Cause here, I mean, we, I mean, dude, this is an underrated card, man. Co-main event of the evening. We got Demir Ismagulov. He's 24 and two, John Kelly taking on Grant Dawson, who's 19 and one. I mean, 24 and two versus 19 and one. These are boxing records. I mean, th these are the kind of records that make you smile. And these guys don't have padded records either. These guys have been out there passing most of the tests they've been put you know, in front of them, and the line reflects that, minus 110 apiece. Now, Ismagulov was a favorite for a while. Lots of action came in on Grant Dawson. The public thinks this is a 50-50 fight. The, uh, the odds reflect that. And here's what I got to say. You know, it's really annoying that I have to bring up narrative talk, you know, instead of just breaking down stylistically or where the line value is at or this or that. But I have to bring up a narrative. People were saying that, you know, Demir had to go through some health issues you know, his last fight that he actually retired after his fight with Sarukian because um, I don't know what the deal was. Maybe someone in the chat knows what uh, Demir was going through health wise that made him briefly retire. So is he coming back here? You know, did he take some time off and fix whatever was wrong with him? And we're going to get that Demir that beat Guram, that Demir that schooled Tiago Moises, um, that Demir that made Joel Alvarez look like he's not a top 15 guy. Are we getting that Demir? And and I say, are we getting the other Demir who still went to a decision with Armin Saruki and one of the best guys on planet Earth got up from seven takedowns, right? Because here's the thing with Grant Dawson. He's a one-dimensional fighter, but he's very, very efficient at that one dimension. And it's easy to just call him a grappler, but it's more of it's like a backpacker. It's more of like a he's a top control guy, you know, and he does have a nasty guillotine, too. And he does have a lot of heart too. speaking of guillotines. Look at the guillotine he escaped 
against uh, the fight fixer, uh, Minner. You know what I mean? That guillotine was so tight. And the fact that he escaped that, hey, the kids got hard too. Um, but man, uh, you know, to quote Khabib, you know how Khabib's like, <laughs> your grappling is zero, your wrestling is zero. Uh, for, for Dawson, I mean, I think his stand-up is zero. I think that, <laughs> you know, especially compared to Demir Ismagula, man. I mean, if we take away takedowns, I mean, this is a blowout. Now we add takedowns. I mean, let's not add. Let's not act like Demir Ismagulov can't stuff a takedown. I know he got taken down seven times his last fight. Armin Saruki and a guy who you know grappled pretty competitively with Islam Makhachev and even scored a takedown against Islam himself. So, I, so again, man, it's back back to the narratives. Like, what are we expecting out of Demir? Are we expecting that same Demir that a lot of us thought was a dark horse in the top fifteen? Or are we expecting the guy who just retired, who had the health concerns, and now it's time to extend Grant Dawson's win streak? Yeah, so two things. One, I love your Habib impression there. That was spot on. And uh, the second thing is I didn't even know Ismagulov retired, to be honest. Like, that's yeah. news to me. So that's, like, really concerning. Um, but in terms of the matchup, like, this was one where – coming into the week like I saw the line I saw Grant Dawson plus 130 or whatever it was at the time and I'm like huh that that's you know that kind of intrigues me I maybe I'll bet Grant Dawson and then the more I looked into the matchup the more I'm like I don't know man like because like to your point is Magulov he's not the easiest guy to run through yes Armin Sarukian just did that but Sarukian for my money is one of the best fighters in this division and it's not that Grant Dawson can't do what he did but are you are you that confident he will? Like, I'm I'm not confident because every time I watch a Grant Dawson fight, like you mentioned, his striking, yes, he's gotten better, but he's still basically a punching bag on the feet. Like, you go back through all of his fights. Nad Naramani, you know, he, he was getting stung there. Jared Gordon was walking him down. Like, even uh, his last fight against Mark Madsen, that he, he, again, looked better in the striking. He's still getting hit quite a bit. So it's like every time I put money on this dude, whether – I bet him or I play him on DraftKings because he usually is a high upside DraftKings play. As soon as the fight starts, I'm like, why am I betting on this guy? Like, why do I keep putting money on? Just because it makes me so uneasy watching him eat so many clean shots to the face. But to his credit, and what you mentioned is, is he is very good at getting the fight to the ground. You know, he's relentless with the grappling. And when he gets it there, he's got good control. He can take the back. He's going to hunt for finishes. It's just that he's been through so many of these close type of fights and fights that he was close to losing i know he was up on that uh, up on the scorecards in that leonardo santos fight but many people thought he might have been down or won one before um getting that last second finish so there's just been so many times where it's like you know i know he's on a, a big win streak but there's there's definitely a potential for him to get exposed here is is Magulov the guy to do that i'm not sure so that's why i kind of came away from it as a pass, I still slightly lean Grant Dawson to get his hand raised by decision, but it's not going to be a bet for me. I mean, a couple of things. Number one, I don't know why the stats don't give Mark Madsen a knockdown. I swear Mark Madsen dropped him in like the first exchange of that fight. Didn't he? Yeah. So I don't think they counted as a knockdown and they're super weird about what they count and what they don't. I think the reason why they didn't is because if I'm remembering it correctly, he like sort of turned it into a takedown attempt. Like, right after he was wobbled um i might be getting that confused with one of his other fights but that's something that he's done multiple times like when he gets stung he immediately like grabs a single leg so maybe that's why they didn't count it 
Dude, so I'll never forget this. So I bet Mark Matson like plus two hundred something odds, right? I was like, I was like, an Olympic, what is he, silver or, or gold medalist? I forget. Do you remember? Uh, what's that? Is Matson a silver medalist or gold medalist? I believe he's a silver, but not a hundred percent. Let's just say Olympic medalist. I was yeah. like, I was like, you're telling me I get an Olympic medalist wrestler at at plus two something against this guy? I was like, you know, I thought I thought it was a joke. And then we drop him five seconds in. I was like, yes, Mark. And then like two seconds later, he gets his back take. I was like, Mark, no, Mark, wait, Mark, please. And then I, I've never been so pissed off. Um, but man, I mean, it, it's just like, it really is the narrative of the Isma Gulov. Like, and I hate talking about which guy is going to show up because I truly do believe that discredits the opponent. But are you giving me dark horse in Magulov or are you giving me health issues just retired in Magul is Magulov. Like I, that's what I need to know here. So I need to pay attention to what happens Friday uh, on the scales and same thing. Speaking of the scales, let's pay attention to Romanov on the scales. I'll tell you all why. Well, we're going to get to that fight in a sec, but against Tybura, he weighs in like 245 against uh, Volkov when he pulled like the stunt of the year. Um, man, he's lucky Jay Perrin fought in the same year as him because Jay Perrin won the stunt of the year award uh, on half the battle. Not a, <laughs> not Romanov, or was Romanov this year? Either way, the point I'm trying to make is he comes in 245 against Tybura, but it was an altitude, so it was, it was a close, close fight. His next fight, he goes in there with Volkov, like 265. Looked like the dude was eating cheeseburgers on the walk to the cage, and uh, you saw what happened. So the reason I'm bringing up Romanov is because what are we getting from Ismagulov? So show me what he looks like on Friday. If you're, if I know that's a fit, you know, ready to make a title run, Ismagulov, I got Ismagulov here. If this is a... Man, one last, you know, nice show check before I cash it in, then then it's Dawson. But right now, pre-weigh-ins, I'm going to go Ismagulov. I reserve the right to change that pick, and uh, you're going opposite. You're going with Dawson. Yep, and like you, I'm, I'm not very confident in that pick either. And speaking of another one I'm not confident in, but I'm excited for, is the featured bout in the welterweight division between Max Griffin, who's 19 and nine, taking on Michael Morales, who's 14 and 0. Currently, they got at Michael Morales minus 240, the comeback on Max Griffin plus 205. So I know that plus 205 on Griffin is going to be very intriguing for a lot of people, and rightfully so. This guy's an experienced, seasoned vet. He's been in there with everybody. He's got a very high knockdown rate. Like he might not knock out a lot of people, but he knocks down a lot of people and he's just durable built for war been been three rounds with so many seasoned and experienced guys so he's seen things that michael morales hasn't seen it's just how how special is this michael morales kid truly now potential wise i think morales is a future top 10 guy it's just you know where is he right now because you can look at someone's potential and you can project them to be a top five guy project them to be a future champ project them to be all these things i projected jamal hill to be a future champ um but that doesn't mean that he was exempt from taking a, a roadblock along the way to paul craig and yeah i i, I might consider that a fluke you know he, my boy didn't even tap show that champ heart but like if they ever ran it back you know who wins that fight if they ever ran it back so similarly here not comparing max to paul but all i'm saying is you know I'm not comparing. Yeah. All I'm saying is Michael takes a setback here. Like you can't just like count him out in the future. You can't just be like, oh, oh, he's a busted prospect now. Like sometimes these guys got to go out there and take those growing pains. So I guess the question is, 
is it growing pain season or not? And before I pass it over to you, I want to bring up one quick thing. So the last time we saw Michael Morales fight was July 30th, 2022. We are uh, today is June 28th, 2023. So it's been nearly a full year. Now, for some people, they might be like, oh, he's coming off a layoff. That's a red flag for me. I'm like, nah, you give a young kid that much time to work on his game and improve. We, we might be looking at a brand new manual. We might be looking at that 2.0, that 3.0, because these young kids that have had, you know, I say 10 or less pro fights. This guy's had more than 10 fights, but he was born in 1999, John Kelly. He's just a kid. So you're going to be seeing these ridiculous leaps every time he fights. And he was actually scheduled to fight Rinat, who's on this card, uh, Fakradinov. And dude, that fight was was lined to pick him. And I'm telling you right now, I was going to hammer Rinat in that spot because I thought Rinat for sure was going to hand him his first loss and then the kid was going to come back better. But here with Griffin, Griffin's got a chance to do the same thing. I'm just not as confident as I was with Rinat. So what do you think? Oh, you're muted, my G. Yeah, sorry about that. I That's interesting. I didn't know he was originally booked to fight Fakhradinov. That would have been a great bet like you alluded to. Um, in terms of this matchup, like I think – uh, the imp the expected improvements that you touched on, like young kid, long layoff, that, that makes total sense. Where I struggle with the betting odds is I think that's like almost overcorrected in terms of baking it into the line. Like he he better be making massive improvements if he's going to cover minus 240 against Max Griffin. And part of that is because I think I've always kind of rated Max Griffin a little bit better than the market. For whatever reason but it's also because the way these two match up i just think they're very similar in a sense in that both of them you know typically want to strike they're both very powerful you mentioned all the knockdowns that max griffin has morales is definitely capable of knocking guys out and knocking guys down um as we've seen um but it's also like they both like the mix in the wrestling a little bit too and they're both capable of landing takedowns we've seen it from morales i think he he actually comes from like a Ecuadorian wrestling. Yep. He's on the Ecuadorian official wrestling team for what that's worth. National wrestling team. Yep. Yep. So I knew it was something like that. And Max Griffin's not a terrible wrestler either. It's just one of those things where I honestly think the skill set is very close between these two. And why I, I am actually going with the underdog and Max Griffin here is because uh, Morales striking defense. Like as good of a striker as he is offensively, as much power, you know, he's very explosive and athletic. But his striking defense, it it does need big improvements. Like he's a guy that gets gets hit. You know, I mentioned it with um with Grant Dawson. Now he's he's certainly not at Grant Dawson's level of a punching bag, but he does eat a lot of very clean shots. Like we even saw it in the Adam Fugit fight as a massive favorite. You know, he's getting tagged clean in that repeatedly. Uh, we've seen him stunned in the past as well. When you're going to give up so many of those free shots, particularly to the head against a guy as powerful as Max Griffin, I do think he has the power to make you pay. But even if he's not able to to land a knockdown or a knockout, I just think these rounds are going to be very competitive in terms of both, both of these guys having pockets of success on the feet and both of them able to mix in the takedowns at times as well. So it's one of those things where, yeah, Morales has the cardio, probably a slight cardio edge, younger, improving athleticism, but I think Max Griffin's just a little bit more pr proven at this stage in his career. So I like the plus 200 here on the dog. Yeah, I mean, listen, I'm not going to be the one to talk you off of it because I truly believe that this kid is super green. Has Look, I think he's talented beyond belief. I think he's an athletic freak, a specimen. 
and does have that, you know, those special traits that like, you know, how old is he? Like 22, 23? I think wait he's 23. Yeah, wait till he's 25, 26, 27. And then we're just going to be like, oh, shit. Um, so it's just like how much, you know, because when I talk about the physicality and the athleticism and the talent, I don't want it to sound like I'm discrediting his hard work or his technique, which I'm not. I'm just saying that sometimes these athletic freaks can get away with certain things that other guys can't like. Like, do you think that Francis Ngannou's punching technique is the prettiest? <laughs> you know, like, did you watch his fight with Rosenstrike? It didn't fucking matter. Obviously, Rosenstrike's much more clean and technical and this and that. It didn't fucking matter. And sometimes, sometimes that shit doesn't matter. Yeah, I think Max Griffin's probably cleaner. I think Max Griffin is probably more technically sound. But sometimes, sometimes it doesn't matter if we're dealing with a real specimen. And I'm trying to figure out if Michael Morales is that guy right now. Like I said... I think he will be that guy one day. It's just about does he have to take a, a you know a roadblock along the way? Because you know if he loses his fight to Max Griffin, I don't want to hear any bullshit about how Morales was this overhyped, overrated prospect. I would rather people look at it like, hey, no one's exempt from that first L unless your name's Khabib or John Jones. And if they stick around long enough, they take their first L's too. And the kid just had to take a loss and you know learn from it, and he's going to be back better. Like all our most of our favorite fighters have had to take setbacks, so. I wouldn't write off that possibility. I'm going to lean towards the favorite, but it's like clearly dog or pass, I think. And also back to the, you know, year off, what kinds of improvements can we expect here? Has he cleaned up some of those things you were, you were talking about? Cause I think everything you said was completely valid. I mean, it, you know, it doesn't look the prettiest and he does get hit a lot, but like he can make up for it by just being that freak athlete. Like, so is he going to be able to use those cheat codes here? Like, so that that's, yeah, so I really don't know. I'm a lean Morales, but yeah, dogger pass at these odds. Now, next up in the flyweight division, we got Ariane Lipsky, the queen of violence, or as she was once referred to on the show, the queen of fraudulence. She's 15 and eight, taking on Melissa Gatto, who's eight, one and two. So my girl Gatto's got two draws on her record. Currently, they got it. Melissa Gatto minus 230. The comeback on Ariane Lipsky is plus 195 so this line actually went from minus um minus 150 gato to to minus 230 so shout out to you know some of the sharps that you know steamed it the way they did and i mean listen lipsky was a big dogger last fight against uh jj and uh she she looked amazing against jj but granted jj is a flake in my opinion and this that's not the first time that jj has broken a fight so you know, while I will absolutely give Ariane her flowers and admit that, hey, that's the best she's looked in a long time. I'm all, I'm just not going to sit here and be like, oh, like, remember when she came into the UFC and like they made commercials for her before her fight with Joanne Calderwood talking about how this was the KSW like women's champ and she's about to be the UFC champ and all this shit. Like, dude, they had she was like a minus two something against Jojo and they had a fucking commercial for it. the queen of violence like is making her UFC debut. And it's just been a big letdown. Like, look, she does have some pop on her punches, but um, she's a good hammer, not a good nail. You know, when you can really put it on her, especially when you can get on top of her. Um, the fight kind of starts to leave her a little bit. Now, she is getting a little bit more mature, you know, with that octagon time. You saw that last performance is what I like to see. The, the thing is that Melissa Gatto, for all her flaws, whether it's takedown defense or whatever the case may be, she got that dog in her. Melissa Gatto is a mean chick. Melissa Gatto, like, she, like the, the, the difference in mentality 
and heart between the two of them is night and day, even if the the skill sets are comparable, which I do think that Melissa Gatto is more tricky on the mat. Um, but let's put the skills aside. If it's just about like, let's say it's one, one going in that third round and I need to flip a coin and one of them, and I can re- only rely on one of them to put, to dig deep in that spot. I'm going Gatto, even though John Kelly, even though if you want, if you want to refute that or dispute it and be like, well, what are you talking about? Dan, she was one, one with Tracy Cortez and Cortez is the one that got the third round. And that's factual, but I think that Cortez with that wrestling background just has a different kind of drive in her fights, a different kind of push can, you know, when she's fatigued, she can still push through it. Whereas Ariane Lipsky more likely from what we've seen to kind of look for the door when things aren't going her way, she'll check out. Whereas, you know, a wrestler like uh, Cortez or just someone like Gatto, they, they don't have that, that button in them that they're, they're not going to give up. So I think, on that merit alone, I got Melissa Gatto. It's just my issue, John Kelly, is if there is not a finish along the way, I mean, don't don't look me in the eye with a straight face and tell me you can't see this being a split decision. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I'm right there with you. And I do, I do lean Gatto as well for a lot of the reasons you mentioned. Like, I do think on the feet, Lipsky can be competitive. You know, that's basically what she is, is a one-dimensional boxer. Um, and to your point, like, uh, when she was coming into the UFC, that's what she was billed at. It's like this powerful boxer. She's going to just knock people out on the feet. But what's, what's been happening is she's actually been the one getting finished and knocked out. She's been knocked out four times in her career. I don't really trust her durability. I don't trust her chin and I don't trust her defensive grappling either. And it's not that I think Gatto's going to come in, uh, you know, just, shooting takedowns nonstop. But I think if she wants the takedowns, she will be able to get them. I think she's a much better submission grappler as well. And I just think she has more upside on the feet, even if she's not going to throw as much as Lipsky. I just trust her chin more. Um, and you brought up the uh, the Tracy Cortez fight. I think the big difference there is just the style of fighter. Like you mentioned, Cortez is that wrestler. And that's how you beat Gatto is you can take her down. She's willing to play guard, play off her back but she's giving up dominant positions while she searches for subs. Lipsky's not going to do that to her. That's not even like any, any sort of a threat here. So I just, I don't see Lipsky really winning this fight outside of if Gatto comes in with a poor game plan and just tries to strike with her. And maybe Lipsky makes it close and turns it into that like close-ish split decision, like you mentioned, but I lean Gatto. I'm not going to bet it at minus 200 or 210 or wherever it's at now. But 30. Oh, 230. So she even she even went further. So um, I, I do think she is the side. I'm just not going to bet it at this price. And and for context on the Cortez example, because I don't want anyone to act like I didn't watch that fight. Yes, I am very fully aware that Melissa Gatto landed more takedowns in that fight than Tracy Cortez. She took down Cortez, a uh, credentialed women's wrestler, three times. She had sub attempts in that fight. She hit her with reversals. So like back to the the talking point of how like okay when antonina got on top of lipsky that was it when montana got on top of lipsky that was it when cachoeira caught lipsky that was it whereas when gatto's getting taken down by a legit wrestler I mean, she's out here scrambling. She's out here reversing position. She's out here hitting takedowns of her own. She's out here having a fight that literally came down to the wire with someone in Cortez who a lot of who has a win over Aaron Blanchfield, John Kelly, who's someone who, you know, prior to I think she had to take like a she was supposed to fight Reboss and then she had like some kind of mental health thing. I think she broke up with Ortega. I don't know the deal. 
I don't want to talk for anyone, but I know that she had like a mental health thing and hasn't fought since. But prior, like going into the Rebos fight, like, I don't know. I mean, people were talking like Cortez was like the future of the division. Like she was a future top 15, top 10. She might even already be ranked, but but you get the point I'm trying to make here. Just a completely different level than Lipsky. Like Lipsky, Aaron Blanchfield wouldn't be caught dead losing a fight to Ariane Lipsky is what I'm trying to say here. And even if people thought that Blanchfield won against uh, Cortez or whatnot, the fact that it was even up in question shows the kind of level that these fighters are on. And I think that Gatto's up there with, uh, you know, with Cortez and them as well. So, yeah, I definitely favor Gatto here. It's just, you know, all you guys that came in on that minus 150, that minus 170, y'all did your job. Um, why would I go in here minus 230, minus 240? I missed out. So, you know, props to y'all. I hope she comes through. Um, but uh, we'll see what happens, right? Like, I, I, I'm not in the boat of oh, this is Ariane Lipsky 2.0 just because she schooled J.J. Aldridge. I've seen plenty of people school J.J. Aldridge. So, yeah, great underdog hit because I think she was like plus 300 or some shit like that. So, amazing. And there's that recency bias of, hey, she came through once as a big dog. Maybe she can come through again. But Melissa Gatto, infinitely tougher than J.J. She's kind of on that upward trajectory. And you know how we talked about how with Morales, how – you know, he's taken like close to a year off and people might look at that as some kind of red flag, but I don't like with these young fighters, even honestly, even with experienced fighters, they can come back from big layoffs. Like I honestly think the, the whole layoff thing is a myth. I mean, we've seen guys come off three year layoffs and win belts. It, it's like only a big deal. If you're coming off like some like reconstructive surgery, then, then I care about like a layoff. You know, if you're coming like when Chris Weidman comes back, you know what I'm saying? Like he will be faded, you know, like, like I don't care how experienced he is. You're coming off a reconstructive surgery. Like that's where a layoff like fucking matters. But someone young like Gatto, someone young like Morales, a layoff is just going to give them time to patch up a couple things in their game. And I saw with Gatto, she was right there with Cortez, just a couple little tweaks, and she can be right up there with the top 15. And now that she's had that time off, I mean, the, the last time she fought was May 2022. Like I said, today, the time we're recording this, John Kelly, is June 28th, 2023, over a year off. Like, I'm excited to see these improvements from Melissa Gatto. I think that she might have even taken her game to that next level. Maybe we do see a finish from Melissa Gatto. So, yeah, she's uh, my pick in this spot, and I'm looking forward to seeing what she looks like Saturday night. Now, next up in the lightweight division, we got Benoit St. Denis. He's 10-1, and taking on Ismael Bonfim, who's 19-3. and Currently, they got it. Ismael Bonfim minus 310. The comeback on Benoit Saint Denis is plus 260. I mean, I guess the biggest talking point is the odds here, right? Like, you know, um, Bonfim pick him to a dog against uh, Terrence McKinney, kills him, and now he's minus 310. But look, all that aside, I do think he's got him covered across the board. And there's been a lot of debate about who the better Bonfim brother is and this and that. Going into it, a lot of people thought Ismael was the better one. Um, I think they're both phenomenal. I need to see how both their careers pan out before I'm ready to say one was the better one. Because usually there's the good brother and the shitty brother, right? Like, it's a rare occasion when both brothers are good. Like, like the Pettis brothers both won belts. So, you know what I'm saying? And the Diaz brothers, two legends. But uh, don't make me shit on Dan Miller. You know, Jim Miller, the legend, and his brother Dan Miller still got some badass guillotine chokes, had a nasty guillotine choke, and what was that name of that league? Was it IFL or something? Like, dude, yeah, one of the most nastiest guillotines I've ever seen in my life. But the point I was trying to make is that, you know, in brother tandems, not 
you know, both brothers can't always be studs. But in the Bonfim case, both brothers are absolute studs. I think that this guy is measured in his boxing approach. Um, I think that he really sets his stuff up. He faints nicely. His timing is on point. And obviously, he's no slouch on the ground either. And with Benoit, I think he's still kind of figuring things out on the feet. Now, he's tough as all hell. I mean, you saw his fight with Zaleski. You got you have to hit this guy with a baseball bat, and he'll still smile at you. You know what I mean? So as far as heart, I mean, when you want to talk about that dog, you talk about Benoit Saint-Denis. I just don't think that his striking is anywhere near as polished as Bonfim. I think that Benoit's best part of his game is on the mat, but I just think that Bonfim is – completely fine there too so while they might you know match up nicely on the mat the difference on the feet is pretty big in my opinion and that's why you're seeing that minus three something price tag on bomb theme so while you know again i missed the line it opened minus 250 you know i missed it by 60 plus cents i said it was minus 310 as we're doing this podcast kelly it just moved up to minus 315 right so action is coming in on bomb theme as we speak I missed the line, but he is my pick to win this fight. And I'm not sure if I even want to call it a dog or pass situation because I just think stylistically he has him covered. Yeah, I mean, you bring up a lot of good points. Did I did think that Gabriel, the younger brother, was the better Bonfin brother, but I don't know, man. Like now I'm like I'm starting to believe in in Ismail a little bit just because like coming into the contender series fight. You know, I, th I thought he was okay. I didn't think he was anything special. And I honestly, I thought his defensive grappling would have been more of an issue, um, even in the McKinney fight. But he's proven, man, he's shored up those holes because early on in his career on the regional scene, um, he was submitted by uh, Hinato Moicano, but he was also submitted a couple other times. Now you have to go back years, but over time, he really seems to have improved his takedown defense and his defensive grappling. And that's where it's like, you know, something's got to give here because that's basically the only way that St. Denis is going to win fights. You know, eight of his 10 wins have come by submission. A lot of them have come early against lower level regional talent. But, you know, he's on a, a little win streak now. I, I think the odds probably are a little bit blown out um, just on principle that St. Denis super tough, super durable. He's going to be hard to knock out a lot, much harder than Terrence McKinney. And he's a solid grappler, too. So, like, it's it wouldn't be crazy if he's able to implement the grappling. Um, but I do agree with you. I think the most likely outcome is is Bonfim just outstrikes him and probably gets his hand raised in a decision here. Uh, I don't mind the – I think I saw an over one and a half. I know it's juiced a little bit. But I, I think the most likely outcome is this goes to the judges' scorecards. So I, I don't mind uh, paying a little juice on that over one and a half. Yeah, I mean, there's one thing about Benoit. I mean, the dude can take a shot. Now, granted, when you're known for taking a ridiculous amount of punishment, one day, you know, that chin's going to give out. Now, that one fight he had against Zaleski was a while back, and no one's really been able to kind of put it on him since then. You know, um, Nicolas Stolze, all respect to him. He didn't have the goods. Wh who's this Gabriel Miranda he oh the guy with the mustache dude i completely forgot that guy existed I was yeah nobody you, you know gabriel wasn't gonna do anything to him this is a guy in ishmael who's actually gonna you know put the punishment on him and now i want to see how benoit responds because you know and again not to disrespect gabriel or nicolas stolza but like this is benoit's first real fight since the zaleski fight you know he had two we, he was the ufc were like dude 
you just showed the biggest balls and biggest heart, not giving up, not, you know, throwing it, not having your corner, throwing the towel, not saying like, I can't see or some shit. Like, you know, there's little ways to look for a way out without saying you want to quit, you know, little nuances, like just, just, just whisper to the ref that you can't see, you know, little things like that. Like, that's all you had to say so that you don't look like, you know, so the fans don't look down upon you for not, not wishing to continue. And he didn't look for any way out, man. I mean, like that, uh, that ref was the one that we were like, dude, like, are you trying to kill this guy? Or like, what the hell is going on here? But I'm glad the UFC gave him two nice little bounce back. So now that when he loses this fight against Bonfim, hopefully going into this fight, already signed a new contract because, you know, they get four fight contracts on their first deal. This is the f- uh, fourth fight of his deal. So what I'm hoping happened is you got these two finishes. Let's sign a new contract. We take this L to Bonfim. And then we don't have to worry about renegotiating. Because I'll tell you this right now, John Kelly. If uh, Benoit did not opt to sign a new contract before this fight and he wants to go into negotiations after this fight, I'm not saying they won't resign him. I'm just saying that he potentially left some money on the table if that's the case. So I'm hoping you signed your new deal. We take this L to Bonfim. And then you just come back on your new deal for your next fight. So I'm hoping that's the case. I'm going Bonfim for the victory. Now, I know we're like covering everything from the financials to the fucking mentality to the, yeah. Next up in the middleweight division, kicking off the main card, we got Bruno the Hulk Ferreira. He's 10 and 0, welcoming Nursultan Ruzeboyev, who's 34, 8 and 2 to the UFC's octagon. What a record. And currently, they got at Bruno minus 185. The comeback on Ruzeboyev is plus 160. Let me just tell you something. This fight is going to be exciting. This fight is going to be violent. This is going to be a very, very interesting matchup here because Bruno Ferreira, I mean, you know exactly what he brings to the table. John Kelly, 10 and 0, 10 finishes, seven knockouts, three submissions. Most of these finishes are in the first round. I mean, when I say most, 90, 90% of, of his wins are in the first round. Um, and then he's had one that's gone outside the first round. And, um, you know, he finished a guy a minute into the second round. Oh, man. <laughs> you know, so this guy's a big first-round finisher. He's a little bit on the shorter and stockier side for this weight class. You know, 5'10 with the 72-inch reach. Um, you know, we're going to talk about a guy in a lower weight class with him, uh, Kevin Lee, who's got a 77-inch reach. So for a middleweight, you know, this is going to be kind of like a Mike Tyson-esque, you know, uh, stature, right? Short. Uh, in terms of height and reach, but explosive, looks to close the distance, big one-punch knockout power. And it's the polar opposite of his opponent, the newcomer, Rizaboyev, who, listen, is six foot four on paper. I think he might even be like six five, and they haven't even measured his reach yet. I'm guessing it's got to be 78 to 80 something. Like this guy, he is long. He is dangerous. This guy has, how many finishes do you think he has off the top of your head? Like 30. Out of 34? 32 finishes. <laughs> and how many times do you think he's been finished? Um, I think like three or four. Twice. So, thir- so, I mean, his finish ratio is insane. 32 fights won by finish, only two fights lost by finish. And, I mean, we're talking about devastating KOs. Uh, the issue I've had here is, you know, being that tall, you know, wrestling is a short man's game, man. And when you're like 6'4", 6'5", and you're dealing with a, a dude who's 5'10", now granted, Bruno's style is to go in there and bomb, which I'm worried about because 
you know, Rizaboyev could throw a big knee up the middle, an uppercut, have something waiting for him. If Bruno decides to shoot, those long arms could be there. This guy's got 20 wins by submission. So you know about those long man chokes, the Darces, the Anacondas, the Guillotines, the Power Guillotines specifically. Um, all that could be there waiting for him. And also he could get clipped trying to close the distance. But at the same time, I have had issues with how Rizaboyev has looked off his back, sometimes does have a bit of that tall man's defense. Granted, he's extremely experienced, and I don't want to call his record completely padded um, compared to some of these newcomers. Because, I mean, there were newcomers coming in here beating dudes that were like 0-0 records, and I'm sure he did that back in the day. But, you know, on his current streak, he beat a guy that was 15-2. and He beat a guy that was 13-4. and He's beat guys with a lot of experience. Um, so I think he's coming in at the right time. It's just... Uh, I, I think the the physical differences between the two is what's giving me the biggest um, issue here because it's like Bruno's got to close a real distance to to get to this guy, um, but at the same time, you know, to keep a guy like Bruno on the outside and pick him apart, that's no easy task either. So th this is a tough one to call. Yeah, and I think the only thing we can bank on is that this is going to be super exciting. Like you mentioned, the finishing ability on, on both sides, like all of all of Ferreira's wins inside the distance, most of uh, Razbaev, and I know I'm probably not saying that right. Uh, most of his wins are are inside the distance as well. And the one thing I'll say about him is like the the times where he did get extended, um, it usually didn't work out in his favor, um, and. I, I don't think this fight is getting extended, but I just I don't really trust the cardio of either guy if it were to get extended. I just think both guys have finishing ability. Both guys like to stand and bang, even though Ferreira's going to be the shorter guy, like you mentioned. I just think this is kind of going to be like a car crash, meet in the middle, swing it out until somebody drops type deal. Um, if it does hit the mat, then I do favor uh, the newcomer, Nursultan, just because he seems to have a little bit of grappling chops to him. Um, and like you mentioned, he's going to be the much longer fighter as well. So this is one where I don't think you can be confident on either side. Like I know Ferreira got steamed from like a pick em or whatever it opened up as to like now he's minus 185 or whatever. Um, I think if you maybe got in at a, a pick em, I I do slightly favor him. But at, at the current odds, I, I don't think you can go anywhere near this fight. So, okay, as far as the ground dynamic, I agree and disagree. Okay, so firstly, you're 100% right about the kid's history when fights get extended. I mean, he's two and six lifetime when fights go to decision. So, you know, that's something already you take note of because as a, you know, fantasy player yourself, you need insurance should these fights get extended because you can't always bank on an early finish, right? Um, but at the same time, on this guy's regional tape, while... If you're shooting terrible shots on him, I mean, he can snatch up some necks, but I have seen him get taken down and held down for extended periods of time. And while we know of Bruno as being a banger and kind of like, you know, the Hulk, you know, he's going to Hulk smash. He's going to do all these things. He still trains out of Evolucion tie, which means that he's a well-rounded guy. I mean, you see the guys, uh, Francisco, Francisco Trinaldo. Uh, Neto BJJ, who just fought Saruki and really tough, you know, so these guys are no slouches on the mat. Like these guys know what they're doing. Um, coming in here with the right game plan, I think that he can have some top control success. It's just, you know, the whole closing the distance on a man that much taller, he's going to have to be creative about it. He's going to have to, you know, be tactical. But I do think he has the goods to get this done. It's just, you know, there's, there's things I'm concerned about the experience difference. 
the price, the change in opponent. You're getting uh, ready to fight Razak, who is, you know, a five foot nine guy like you, who's going to stand and bang until one man falls. And then you get switched to a six foot five kind of way more experienced guy who fights nothing like Razak. Um, so, yeah, completely different opponent. I'm going to lean Ferreira, but not as confident as I was in his initial matchup. Now, this this is where it gets good, my friend, because main event of the prelims, we got the return of Kevin Lee. He's 19 and 7, taking on Renat Fakradinov, who's 21 and 2. Currently, they got it. Renat minus 190, the comeback on Kevin Lee plus 165. I think I've been like going first on all these, so I'm gonna let you take it away, my man. All right, sounds good. I I, I do like uh Renat Fakradinov quite a bit. Like I do think he is. He is going to be a staple in this division as he moves forward, gets tested against better uh, competition. But what he's done so far has been nothing short of dominance through two UFC fights. I mean, he's landed five or more takedowns in either of those fights. He banked 13 minutes of control time against Andreas Michalaitis, who obviously doesn't have much of a ground game or it basically has no get-ups game whatsoever. Um, but he still completely dominated him 10-8 uh, rounds in that fight. Um, and then he followed up with a solid win against Brian Battle. That's aged even better than we thought previously. And Brian Battle, yes, he can be out grappled, but I mean, he made him, it was non competitive. You know, there was another 10 8 round in that fight, and he controlled him for 14 minutes out of 15. Like, it's absurd the level of grappling that this guy has. Once he gets on top, he can control you. He's looking to pass, looking to land damage, and he's got power on the feet, too. I think people, you know, like somebody I tweeted about him early in the week and somebody was like, Oh, he's a, he's just a crotch sniffer. Like, I, I don't think people realize this dude could actually slug it out on the feet too. Like he has power. It's not the prettiest. Like you mentioned talking about that Francis Ngano, like he, he's not the prettiest, but he does have power. And, you know, he dropped by Brian battle in that fight as well. Like, I just, I don't think you can label him as only a wrestler or like a boring wrestler, whatever, like this dude's exciting. And I think I'm actually expecting him to finish Kevin Lee in this fight. So I want to hear kind of what you think about that, because I know it's favored to go the distance, but I don't know if I trust Kevin Lee, this version of Kevin Lee to come <laughs> in and, and, and fight a hard 15 against an exciting prospect like Fakradinov. Let, let me ask you something. Are we here to, uh find value and make money or are we here to judge someone based off if we find their style aesthetically pleasing because as far as i was concerned i thought wrestling was perfectly acceptable and suitable way to win fights in mma so he's a crotch sniffer um well can you make money on this crotch sniffer i mean like so since when is being a crotch sniffer like indication that the guy is going to cost you money i thought that like betting on crotch sniffers is profitable long term. So I think whoever said that, uh, yeah, has their priorities in the wrong place because, like, I don't give a fuck if you're a staller or what. Like, are, are you, do you have a good stylistic matchup in front of you? And do you uh, have that determination to win or not? Because let, let's talk about this for a second. Crotch sniffer. Okay. So he landed seven takedowns against Brian Battle. Like, if that's all you told me, John Kelly, that he landed seven takedowns in a 15 minute fight, I'd already, have my eye on him and be like, okay, that's someone to look out for. Now let's take it a step further, John Kelly. Let's pretend he didn't have seven takedowns. Okay. Let's look at total strikes. Renat outstruck Brian battle 102 to 25. So 
I mean, pick your poison. I mean, what 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 am I more impressed by, John Kelly? Am I more impressed by seven takedowns in a 15-minute fight? Or am I more impressed by outstriking someone 125? Now let's now let's combine the two. He did both those things in one fight. So people say, oh, he's a crotch sniffer. So I'm gonna throw my money away on a guy that's lost four of his last five. Like that sounds like a personal problem to me because everything I've seen about Renat is dominance. Like, I mean, do I have to repeat myself, John Kelly? Seven takedowns, 102 to 25 on strikes. And that's the last fight, the fight before that. Let's check out the fight before that. Five takedowns, which already I'm like, and, and he attempted 10, attempted 10. Like, we talk about this all the time, man. Like, these guys that can just attempt takedown after takedown after takedown. He got five takedowns stuffed. Did he get discouraged? Nope. Kept going back to the well. Your opponent gets discouraged because it's like, the fuck do I got to do to keep this guy off me? All right. That's takedowns. Five takedowns. Guess what the total strikes were? 106 to 48. So he, he doubles up Rin, uh, Andreas and against battle, he fucking quadruples him up. So when you're doubling up and quadrupling up your, your opponents on strikes and then you're also hitting five or seven takedowns, and people want to say, I don't want to win money on this guy because he's a crotch sniffer. Like, are you stupid? Like, like, I, like, what, like, what goes through your mind when you're saying shit like that? Like, I, I, I'm blown away that someone would have the audacity to say that. And I don't want to be condescending. I'm just trying to, you know, like, help you out because these are the kind of guys that win money long term, period, point blank. Um, and then here against Kevin Lee, look. We know what Kevin Lee brings to the table. The same shit he's always brought to the table. He's a physical guy. He's got a really long reach, not only for back when he fought at lightweight with the 77-inch reach, but even here at welterweight, he's got a reach advantage, 77-inch. He's got long fucking arms. I mean, I remember Mauricio Shogun up at 205 has like a 74-inch reach. You know, you understand what I'm saying? This welterweight's got longer reaches than some 205ers. Um, the issue with Kevin Lee is that he's a front runner, you know, I mean, he will get takedowns in fights and he will land big strikes in fights. But I mean, if you can push this guy, if you stand up to the bully, he does not like it. I mean, this is nothing new. This has been going on for years. John Kelly, man. I mean, uh, we don't even need to talk about like sometimes like in some of his early losses, it was an arrogance thing, like with the Leo Santos uh, knockout loss. Um, like he was like minus 500 in that spot, you know, talking about how, do you remember when, uh, Dan Hardy fought Carlos Condit and it was in the UK and the, in the pre-fight talk, Dan Hardy was saying the most ridiculous shit. Like he was like, I can close my eyes and throw a punch in any direction and still knock out Carlos Condit. Like he's like, He's like, Carlos Condit's going to come to the UK. I'm going to knock him out, stamp his passport, and send him on his way. But he said it with his UK accent, so it was, like, fucking hilarious. And I like Dan Hardy. The only reason I'm bringing that up is because Kevin Lee is on that same shit, just the arrogance on a, on a level that you couldn't imagine. And, and people were like, he only got cut from the UFC because his manager was Markel Martin. Roo, uh, actually, he got cut from the UFC because he lost four of his last five and wasn't showing any improvements whatsoever. That's why he got cut from the UFC. Don't don't try to fucking give me any political bullshit about who his manager is. You think that if he had won four or five that they would have cut him? No, he lost four or five. Like, like guys, it's like when John Fitch got cut and, and everyone was crying about the most boring fighter in UFC history getting cut. And Kevin Lee's not a boring fighter. But the reason I bring this up is because, like, Dana made a really good example. It's not like John Fitch went from being, you know, number 10 in the world to number five to number one and they cut him. 
Fitch went from being number one, the five to 10 to 15 to out the rankings and they cut him. And Kevin Lee, I mean, what, what, like what's, what's he doing now? He was losing at 55s every time he stepped up and now he's losing at seventies. Every time he steps up, leaves the octagon, fights Diego Sanchez, looks like shit against a completely washed up fighter, blows his knee out again. And now, now, you know, you sign with a good management that's in good graces with the UFC. So they're giving you that one last chance. You had to beg for this opportunity. And here, here's, here's the 22 and one Russian, you know? So let's see how you do with it. If you get this upset, all credit to you. But I think Renat Fakardinov, you know, the first round is going to be close. But after that, I think he takes over. I think he just kind of imposes his will and, and lets him know whose house this is, lets him know who daddy is. I got Renat Fakardinov to extend his win streak and, uh, you know, get into, you know, one of those top 15 eliminator type fights in this next one. 100%. You're speaking my language on the uh, Fakradina love. I love, I could listen to it all day, man. And I mean, like, we were talking about uh, with uh, Michael Morales, how him and Renat were initially supposed to fight. And I was telling you there, that was my fucking big fade spot on Morales. It was minus 120 to minus 140 for Renat. Uh, I was like, oh my God. Like, like, because, like, you know, Morales is green. Morales, you know, He's going to be that guy one day, just just not right now. And I thought Renat was really going to expose him. But I think Renat's going to break Kevin Lee. So I'm going to go with him uh, as well. Now, next up uh, in the women's featherweight division, I think these are like the only two uh, women's featherweight fighters on the roster at this point. Nah, uh, you got to give love to my girl Norma Dumont too. But we got Yana Kunitskaya. She's 14 and 7, taking on Carol Hosa, who's 16 and 5. And currently they got it, Yana, uh, they got it, Carol Hosa minus 150, the comeback on Yana Kuniskaya's plus 130. I need your help on this one, man, because, you know, I pride myself on my ability to find my prospects, and I'm not sure if I was just off about uh, Rosa or if maybe she just had some tough matchups because, like, when she came into the UFC, I mean, I know I know John Kelly knows damn well as a fucking fantasy player what kind of numbers Rosa was putting up, that Rosa was consistently going out there, landing over 100 significant strikes in multiple fights. She was landing knockdowns, which you don't often see in the women's divisions. And even the two fights she lost, like, she would, like, lose the, the first two rounds by, like, a close margin. And then that third round, she put it on the girls to a point where I was thinking, like, hey, she could do well in five-round fights. It was, like, it was like the, the famous excuse. She ran out of time. You know what I'm saying? Like, I felt like she simply ran out of time against Dumont and against Sarah McMahon. Um, here against Yana, I mean, I guess I'm worried about similar shit. Like, I know how good Carol can be. I know Carol is the tougher woman here. I know that if this is, you know, about who's got more heart, Carl's going to win that. I know if this is about who's got more volume, Carl's going to win that. What I'm having the issue with John Kelly is how much time against the fence is Yana going to be able to push her up there, kind of kill the clock, kind of kill a little momentum, do some of those weak knees to the thigh and kind of make it look like you're working when you're not really working. Maybe hit a judo throw once or twice. Yana has got no chance of finishing her. I say that now, watch her get an arm bar like in her, uh, when she won the Invicta belt back in the day against Evinger. But I'm just saying like, I would be shocked if Carl Hosa got finished in the spot, but I'm worried about the same shit of the two decisions she lost. First two rounds kind of close. Nothing really happens, but they kind of they edge it towards Yana because she got more cage control. Then the third round, Carl beats the shit out of her, but loses a 29-28. 
I'm not trying to go through that again. Speak to me about how you see the matchup going, and uh, let's see let's see what we come with. Let's see what we come through with. Yeah, you know, I'm not sure I can help you out too much because I'm kind of in the same boat as you. Like when Carol Hosa first came into the UFC, like you mentioned, she looked like a stud prospect. Like she was putting it on girls, tons of volume, could even mix in the takedowns, had some power on the feet. We've seen kind of her holes get exposed over her last couple of fights, not just the defensive grappling, like McMahon out wrestled her, grounded her multiple times. Like John Kelly's left the building, but I think he's making some valid points. There he is. There he is. He's back in the house. Some, somebody start tried to call me there. Apologize. How dare they? Um, At this hour, John Kelly. I know. I I should have put it on. Do not disturb. The, the audacity. Um, I I never use my phone, so that's my excuse. Um. So, like I was saying though, um, we've we've seen uh fighters like Sarah McMahon out wrestle her, ground her. When you put her on her back, you can definitely um you know kind of keep her there to a degree and then uh, the other thing that's concerning and why i can't trust hosa at this price is because um is because the uh the volume has kind of dropped off like the first couple fights like you talked about the volume was great 100 plus significant strikes she's constantly pumping the jab landing the leg kicks we've seen even when she's at space now it seems like sometimes she's like gun shy which i i don't really know why but and and maybe she's not. It just seems like the volume, we can't rely on it as much as I initially thought. And I think that's concerning as a sizable favorite when you have those defensive grappling holes and you're not going to put keep your foot on the gas pedal until you're down two rounds, like you mentioned. So even though I don't rate Yana Santos, Yana Kuniskaya very highly, it's just a fact of like, do I want to pay this price on Hosa? I don't. I do think she wins. But to your point, like, would it be that crazy if she got stuck on the fence here and and made these rounds closer than they should be? I wouldn't be surprised, but I, I like Hosa to win, but I don't like it enough at at these odds. So we're reaching the hour mark. Got a few fights left to go. Before we do that, everybody do me a huge favor. Smash that like button. If you're not subscribed, please subscribe. When this is over, leave us a comment. And also follow my man, John Kelly, at John Kelly DFS on Twitter, as well as on YouTube as well. Now, John Kelly, next up in the flyweight division, we got the newcomer, Ivana Petrovic. She's 6-0. Taking on Luana Carolina, who's 8-4. Currently, they got it. Ivana. And here they're calling her Sarich. <laughs> on, uh, I don't know. It's uh, Petrovic, and now it's Sarich. Either way, we know who we're talking about. She's minus, minus 220. Come back on Luana is plus 185. So, I mean, what, what what kind of prospect are we dealing with here uh, to have a minus 220? Because, like, look, Luana might not be the best, but Luana's experienced. Luana's been in there with some of the best. Luana knows what the ups and downs are like. Um, she's seasoned at this point. So, I mean, is this new chick, like, just some stud prospect, or is she getting overhyped because she's got the cool name, the undefeated record, and, might have been a champ in another organization like what's the deal here john yeah you know i think it's kind of all those things that's why she's getting so much respect and not just those things but also she's a very good looking girl and i think that does factor in it's like oh you know we have this stud prospect um who who is winning fights even if they're against lower level competition they're good looking they're marketable blah 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 let's give her one of the lower level fighters 
um, and see what she can do, see if she can book a win and, and build that momentum. The problem is, I don't think she's all that great, to be honest with you. Like, and I'm, I could, I'm open to being wrong on this. I've actually bet Luana Carolina, which feels slimy, of course. Um, but at plus 186, I, that was my first bet of the week. And part of it is because Petrovic, you know, she does seem like she's somewhat well-rounded. Um, her striking's nothing special. You know, she's a southpaw. She likes to kind of close distance and, and fight in the phone booth a little bit. Um, she's definitely hittable. And that's where I think Carolina can make this very competitive is if the fight stays on the feet. Now where Petrovic is going to have the advantages, obviously with the grappling, we've seen Carolina get taken down before out grappled multiple times, but there's also been times where like Carolina's takedown defense is, is not like these takedowns are not going to be free for Petrovic. Like I, I don't think they're going to come as easily as I think the market is pricing it. And if that's the case, then I think we have a pretty close kickboxing match where I'm going to take the more proven fighter at the UFC level in Luana Carolina. Now, can she get taken down now grappled? Sure. But at this price, I'm willing to uh, take the shot and make Petrovic prove it to me. And I think that's a valid point. I mean, just to put context and evidence into what you're saying, Luana Carolina went out there with Lupe Godinez. And I know sometimes Lupe Godinez might have questionable game plans. However, against Luana, she did not have a questionable game plan. She went out there and she attempted 15 takedowns on Luana. And guess how many of those 15 she got, John Kelly? Only two. Only two of them. Two yep. for 15. So we have evidence that Luana in certain fights, she can stuff. And in the ones that she hasn't, I mean, she's been able to get back up for the most part. I know there's been, you don't have to remind me about the area and Lipsky knee bar and this and that, you know, shit happens. I mean, this is fighting at the end of the day. But what I do like about Luana is that she's put up over 100 significant strikes in multiple fights, whether it was her most recent fight against uh, Calderwood, which was in the UK. So, you know, and it was, it's just still got to a split decision in the UK. You know what I'm saying? So props to her on that. And then even back in the day against Priscilla landed a knockdown landed, you know, had three submission attempts and landed over a hundred significant strikes. So she's put up numbers from time to time. I think the things, the areas I've had kind of issues with is, you know, she's kind of like a little bit goofy in terms of her like athleticism. Um, maybe the chin isn't quite the best. Uh, I'm not just talking about what Molly did, but even Joanne hurt her badly multiple times. But granted, Joanne striking is on a completely different level than Ivana. And I've seen Ivana get hurt, too. I mean, I know you remember that elbow uh, in one of her regional fights. Didn't she get cracked with some elbow and go down? Like, am I thinking I'm thinking of the right person? I'm pretty damn sure. Yeah. She got dropped with an elbow in one of her fights, right? Yeah. 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 Okay. Um. It's just about like when you view Ivana's ground game, are you viewing more top control? Are you viewing more arm bars from guard? Are you viewing more, you know, riding it out? Like, like, like what kind of success would you expect her to have? Should she get takedowns here? Yeah, I, I would expect her more top position. Like she doesn't seem like now she does have, I think a couple submissions, but she doesn't seem like a submission over position fighter. Like you see, a lot of times she's passing, she's consolidating position and, you know, she's looking to do damage a lot of the times. Like she's not just somebody that's going to hunt for submissions. You saw one of her fights. Um, I don't, I think uh, maybe it was her most recent one. I can't remember, but uh, the fight was close. And then once she actually took her down, I think she got in the mount and she was landing some, some pretty heavy elbows. So she's not just somebody that's going to, you know, roll for an arm bar or do anything like that. Um, I do think she's more of a of a top position type of grappler here. Yeah. Um, I, another one, because I just don't know what 
Ivana is going to look like in the UFC. And I mean, like, oh, and another great example. I mean, I think my fans are probably like sick of me mentioning this, but like in debuts, they don't always perform up to par. I mean, you remember when Tyler Santos lost to Morella Barella just by staring at her? And it was it was minus one fifty for Tyler. I bet her there because like, wouldn't you bet minus one fifty on Tyler against Barella ten times out of ten? Just saying, you know what I'm saying. So, um, with that being said, yeah, I'm a, I'm also go with uh, Luana and let's see what she can do with this opportunity. Uh, now, next up in the featherweight division, we got a mismatch. We got Joe Anderson Brito. He's fourteen and three, taking on Weston Wilson, who's sixteen and seven. Currently, they got it. Where is this? Oh, I found it. Joe Anderson. <laughs> the best price on Joe Anderson is minus 1100. And the comeback on Weston Wilson is plus 800. So Joe Anderson's a guy I have a, a good history with. Um, I bet him against Algio. 1-1 going to the third round. And it just came down to one scramble. Kind of gave up his back. And, and I lost a bet there. But then I bet him against feely the very next fight i think i cashed like a plus 250 or something like that so yeah i fuck with this guy and i mean something i talk about with all my guests and like oh yeah someone brought up a good example daniel zell huber in his debut yeah exact same, same exact perfect example nick i mean daniel zell huber like you like who did he fight again because i bet on him that i just don't remember daniel zell huber was it the trey ogden fight? Uh, yeah okay thank you so he fights trey ogden now, when you walk away from that fight, did y'all walk away like blown away by Trey Ogden's performance thinking like, wow, Trey Ogden, oh my, like, no, you just thought like, bro, like why did Daniel Zell Huber just shit his pants, ask for a, a selfie and an autograph in the center of the octagon and then stare at his opponent for all 15 minutes? And then and then he actually fights Lando and you saw what he's capable of. Same shit we saw against Lucas Almeida on contenders. So that's that's exactly what I'm trying to say, Nick. A perfect point. Like sometimes in their debut, they'll do a Tyler Santos, they'll pull a Zell Huber, but then they come back that next fight and you see what you initially saw on tape. And I'm so glad you brought that up because you know, one thing you guys know I've been in this game a long time, and you got to consistently refine your process. And it's okay to take breaks from time to time if you're feeling a little burnt out. But one thing I had to do was when Tyler Santos lost to Barella, her very next fight, uh, she fought Molly McCann. And I was like, oh, man, if you're breaking against Barella, imagine what McCann's going to do to you. And then the Tyler Santos I saw on tape going into the Barella fight showed up, the one that beat Marina Rodriguez on, uh, you know, amateur kickboxing fights back in Brazil. You know, like the, the Tyler Santos, who I was like, could be the future of this division. That's the one who showed up. So I disrespected her in the Molly fight because I had that bitterness of what she did against uh, Barella. But when it came to Zell Huber, I went back to the well with Zell Huber the second time against Lando. I said, hey, I'm not going to make the mistake I made with Tyler with holding it against them. I'm going to chalk it to a debut stunt, and I'm going to go back to the well and believe in the initial you know, talent I recognized in Zell Huber, and it paid off. So it's okay to learn from your mistakes, and let's see if there's a similar instance here. But uh, back to what we were talking about, Joe Anderson and Weston. So listen, Joe Anderson. Uh, oh, oh, yeah. So I was telling you how like on Contender Series, when I when I watch tape on Contender Series, I'll watch the fight. And then after the fight, I'll skip to the end and watch what Dana White had to say about why he did or didn't sign the fighter, because it's not just coming from Dana White's mouth prior to him going there and announcing the winners. He's in the back with the matchmakers and they're discussing everything. So it's not just Dana talking. It's, you know. A lot of it's influenced by what the matchmakers had to say. 
And their consensus on Brito was he could be a special guy. He could be one of the new Brazilian fighters, you know, leading the way that, you know, leading the torch for that next generation of Brazilian fighters. That's the conclusion they came to when they saw him. So, you know, I think that his first three fights, he's shown a lot of talent, a lot of potential. He's going to finish this kid, Weston Wilson, and he's going to be on a nice three fight win streak. And then we're going to have to test him again. Then we're going to have to get him in there with, because you got to understand a lot of guys have been pulling out of fights with, uh, with Brito. Melsic pulled out the, the 23 and 0 Russian pulled out of a fight twice with him. Um, so after, you know, and, and people are like, how did Weston Wilson get this call? Same way, uh, Neto BJJ got the Sarukian call. I mean, a lot of people don't want to take a dangerous fight. Like, you know, whether it's a ranked guy against, you know, like Sarukian, who's, He's high rank, one of the most dangerous guys in the division. The other rank guys didn't want to give up their spots. And then there's, you know, cases like this with um, with Brito where he's unranked, but he's dangerous and he's just as skilled as some of the ranked guys. So, you know, you know, ranked guys don't want to give up their spot because they know how dangerous this guy is. So you have to fucking call up this random dude, Weston Wilson, who's waited years. I mean, he's 34 years old. He's probably been waiting since when did he make his pro debut in 2012 he's been waiting over 10 years to make his ufc debut he finally took the opportunity so props to you my guy and i'm familiar with some of the people he beat on on the regional scene you know he did beat nfc vet mike wilson so respect but i just don't think he's on this level right now look i'll give him credit man think about this um 100 finish rate in his wins right 16 wins inside the distance zero wins by decision um the guy's killer be killed. So at least we know he's going to try. It's just the physicality difference. Now, Grand Weston's going to be the taller man. You know, he's six foot one. Um, he's a big boy. But even though Joe Anderson's only five eight, he's a fucking cocked, stocky. Like, like the bigger man is the shorter man here, and the bigger man is the more skilled man, and the bigger man is the guy with the higher ceiling. And Joe Anderson Brito is going to come out here and finish Weston Wilson. Yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you, man. 22 units to win two units is the uh, lock of the week for me. Uh, no, uh, but seriously, I mean, you mentioned Weston Wilson's a killer be killed style of fighter, and he is going to be killed this weekend. Make no mistake about it. I really don't even have a ton to add. I think I think Brito's better literally everywhere. He can win this fight wherever it goes. He doesn't even need to grapple, even though I think that would be a big edge for him. Um, I think he knocks him out, and I think it comes in the first round. So, All right, so you're going first-round knockout for Brito. Yes, sir. All right, I- I'm going to go on the opposite, and I'm going to say first-round submission. Let's do it. Now, let's see. Let's see. One of us has to be right. Watch him there fucking hurt 30-24, the guy. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> so next up in the heavyweight division, we got the return of Alexander Romanov. I think it's Alexander. Is it Alexander Romanov or the guy that ate Alexander Romanov, you know, from the last time he's 16 and two taking on Blagoy Ivanov, who is 19 and five. Currently they got it. Alexander Romanov minus 135. The comeback on Blagoy Ivanov is plus 115. So like I mentioned at the beginning of the show, I need to see the weigh-ins for this. You know, if, uh, if Romanov was back in shape, like he was in the Tibora fight and I know he lost that fight, but remember that was in, uh, elevation like Salt Lake City or something like that. So like he was in great shape and it actually was a really good fight. It's just it looked bad because he was like minus 400 and, and he lost a close decision. But 
had that fight been lying to pick him and he lost a close decision, no one would have held it against him. It's just when you're minus 400 and you do that, you know, you're going to piss a lot of people off. You know, that's just that's just how it goes. Um, but he looked good in that fight as far as I, I was concerned for like seven minutes, you know. Um, and um, also he weighed in. Let me tell you exactly what he weighed in at. So for the Tybura fight, this dude comes in here. Uh, you know, a lean and mean. I, I I thought 245. I was wrong, John. He comes in here a lean and mean 239 and a half pounds. Like, I was like, oh, okay, Alexander. Like, someone's getting ready to, to make a run at the top 15. You love to see it. Close, competitive fight against, you know, a seasoned top 15 guy in Tybura. No shame in that. Now, now we're giving you an opportunity against Volkov, who's an even bigger step up in competition. Let's see how you handle that. So we go from weighing in 239 pounds, the most shredded uh, Alexander Romanov's ever been, to he comes in there against Volkov, weighs in 264 and a half pounds. And it showed. Basically, his game plan was, I'm going to try to take him down one time, and if he gets back up and I can't finish this fight, then, then you know, <laughs> you know, he was, he, was, he was crying uncle. He was ready to go home. He was done. And it was the kind of stunt that you don't you don't just write it off. You don't just chalk it off to a bad day at the office. No, that something fucked with him after that Tybura fight. Whether it was mentally, we don't know what's going on in his life outside. Because you don't just go from 239 pounds to 265 pounds in a span of what was it? A span of a few months, like less 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 than a year, right? Um, and now he's coming back, and it, it just. To me, it's the same thing. Show me what you look like on Friday on the scales. Are you giving me 239 pounds lean and mean? Or are you giving me 265 pounds, you know, value meal, eating fries on the walk to the octagon, and you're going to quit after your first takedown attempt doesn't work? And let me also say this, because, like, let's not only talk about Romanov. Let's talk about Blagoy Ivanov. I mean, dude's got a 70% takedown defense. It's not like this guy is someone you just take down and hump. You know, Blagoy is tough. And even the fights he loses, most of them are split decision, come down to the wire against high-level competition. So, I mean, Blagoy, I mean, you're talking about a former Bellator champ. You're talking about a former, not PFL, but before PFL, World Series of Fighting. That's what they used to be called, former World Series of Fighting champ. So he's been a champ in multiple organizations, and he's been in there with the best of the best. So... I don't know what to expect from Romanov, but pre-weigh-ins, I'm going to go Blagoy. Um, because at least I know, like, if Blagoy is going to give his best, I know he can be competitive with the top guys, right? Whereas with Alexander, it's hit or miss. If he gives his best, he can suplex guys. He can do some cool shit. But when he's not giving his best, he's going to quit after one takedown doesn't work. Whereas when Blagoy is not giving his best, he's still going to competitive split decision. So, pre-weigh-ins i go blagoy but if this dude you know weighs in 239 uh, uh on friday i i reserve the right to change my pick but for now pre-weigh-ins i'm going blagoy yeah and i i think that's the main thing here is like weigh-ins are important and i basically never say that i'm not a big weigh-ins guy most of the time i don't even watch weigh-ins i just check to see if anybody missed but uh a situation like this i think i think it is key because there was such a drastic change. You know, when you mentioned when he came in at 264 pounds, he literally looked like Jay Collier against uh, Tom Aspinall. Like, that's Dude. the vibe that I got. Sorry to cut you off. I'm so glad you brought that up because, like, I, so at the time, I didn't know who Aspinall was because it was his debut. I'd only watched, like, a couple regional fights. 
when I saw Jay Collier look six months pregnant on the scale, I just immediately laid the chalk on Aspinall minus 230 or whatever it was. Didn't even think twice. And, and I did and I did the same thing when John Volante showed up, you know, in his in his third trimester of pregnancy against Maurice Green. I laid like the same minus two thirty on Maurice Green. Gave me a little sweat, but both those spots paid off. Yep, and and most of the time, like situations like that, I mean, you're you're probably getting your money in pretty good. I know John Jones looked a little doughy up a weight class, and he got the finish, but typically that's the exception, not the. Uh, the rule but um to your point like i i do think weigh-ins are are very key here and if if romanov comes in looks in decent shape i do think he still has some upside like let's not forget a couple fights ago people thought he was literally going to run through the division um which obviously was a bit of a stretch but he does have real finishing ability particularly in the first round the problem is it's usually only in the first round that he has that ability. Um, but I do think it's possible, you know, that he lands a couple takedowns here and is able to smash Ivanov. I think it would probably have to be a submission because Ivanov has been so durable. But, you know, with this guy, it's just always a concern. Even if he does look good on the scales, it's always a concern that, hey, if he doesn't finish him in three or four minutes, he's going to get finished and just give up. And probably even though Ivanov's not a powerful guy, like he's not known for finishing people, but I'd be surprised if this one goes a full 15 minutes. So I, I'm more optimistic, I think, than than most about Romanov. But I got to wait for the scales to to really form that opinion. He's also known for not getting finished. I mean, like, I mean, you know the story. I mean, dudes are out here stabbing this man and, and he's like, uh, you know, he's all good. You know, so dude's a stud. Uh Built different is how we can describe uh, Blagoy Ivanov. So I always wanted to see that Ivanov versus Francis fight just because, like, uh, Francis, heaviest hitter, you know, and uh, Ivanov, like, best chin. So I wanted to see, like, could he eat those shots or not? Like, that would that was, like, really intriguing to me. I know on paper right now that sounds like kind of, like, doesn't make any sense. But a few <laughs> years ago, I was just very curious. Just uh, like how how do you eat the shots of Francis? Because like blagoy has got like the most insane chin I've ever seen, um, and not just chin, but like body. Like you got stabbed fifteen times and survived that. You ate the black beast best shots and ate that. Like dude, like hey, tip my tip my cap. You're the man. All right. So before we talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch, firstly I want to thank everybody that's in the building watching with us. All hundred plus of you, thank you so much. Y'all do me a huge favor and smash that like button. If you're not subscribed, please subscribe. And then also when this is done, leave me a comment and then follow John Kelly at John Kelly DFS. Now, John, we got to talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch. So in your opinion, John Kelly, what is the fight to watch for UFC Vegas 76? Fight to watch. That's a good question. Let me think about it for a sec. I'm leaning towards Griffin Morales, but I, I want to think about it for a sec. I don't think that's a bad choice. Tell us why you're leaning Griffin Morales. Hey, go with your gut. Go with your gut. So, I mean, there, there's kind of two. Like, the other, I was between that and the ferreira Razabov fight just because I think that's going to be fireworks. But I'm going to go with, with my gut, and that's the Griffin Morales fight. I just think it's a really, really interesting matchup because like you mentioned like is morales that stud prospect is he making those big improvements i want to see that myself but i also just it, it's kind of like a selfish thing like i'm more interested in this fight than most people probably are because i i actually think 
that the skill set is very close between these two and it's just not reflected in the odds. So I think it's going to be a fun fight. Both guys are probably going to land on each other and uh, we'll see who wins, but I'm rooting for uh, Max Griffin, but that's my fight to watch this weekend. And, and like to your point, like even if he is that stud prospect, that doesn't mean he's exempt from a first L yeah. like he can take that roadblock and still come back and go on a big run. So yeah, I think that's a great, point for why this is one of the fights to watch john and for me my fight to watch is the co-main event between demir ismagulov and grant dawson so many questions look at the records 24 and 2 versus 19 and 1 these are boxing records and i mean in boxing they get records like that because they they pad them until they get to 20 and 0 and then they fight real guys these guys have been fighting real guys for the longest time and real quick i just want to give a quick shameless plug grant dawson's only loss is to hugh pulley who knocked him out in 35 seconds via like travis brown elbows one of my best friends robert king hale uh just recently beat hugh pulley the guy that the only guy to ever beat grant dawson so y'all keep an eye out for my boy robert king hale uh, also knocked out nick mata who got knocked out recently you know ufc fighter so y'all keep an eye out for him he's got a fight coming up with contender series vet uh peter petty's and we think after he knocks him out that he'll he'll get his call. So keep an eye out for Robert King Hale. But the reason that Demir versus Grant is my fight to watch is the amount of questions I have for such a high-level fight, John Kelly. I mean, Demir is Magulov. Prior to you know these health concerns and, and retirement talk, he was the dark horse of the division. Like everyone was talking about how like this is the unspoken king. This is the guy that can go all the way. And Grant Dawson, I mean. It might not look the prettiest, but 19 and one doesn't lie. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And he's going out there and taking down Olympians, choking them out, um, overcoming adversity in fights, switches gyms, which was a big deal at the time. So, man, super high stakes on the line. I mean, whoever wins this fight between Demir and Grant is going to make a big leap up the rankings and whoever loses it's going to be a massive setback and a time to rebuild so for that reason Demir Ismagulov versus Grant Dawson is my fight to watch now John Kelly who is your fighter to watch for UFC Vegas 76 I think you probably already know the answer I'm going with the crotch sniffer with Renat Fakhradinov I mean I, I really love this dude I think he's he's a stud I think he's going to be a problem in the division for years to come and I think he proves that on Saturday with a dominant, another dominant win this time over Kevin Lee. Hey, we forgot to talk about Guram and Elvis, but we'll do that in a sec. Um, so my fighter to watch might be a surprise. Alexander Romanov. Like, dude, like, how, how seriously are you taking this? Like, are, are you still going to be that suplex king that was coming out here and picking dudes up and throwing them out the octagon? Or are you going to be that dude that weighed in at the heavyweight limit, was eating those cheeseburgers, one takedown didn't didn't work, and then you were ready to pack it in. Like, because at one point this guy was considered one of the, the the top prospects in the heavyweight division. People had high hopes for him. People were talking like, you know, if this guy takes down Cyril Gan, it's over. You know, so I wanna <laughs> know where this guy is really at. And this fight's gonna let me know that. So for that reason, Romanov's my fight, to, my fighter to watch. Now we forgot to break down Guram versus Elvis, so let's just break it down real quick. So next up in the in the lightweight division, we got Guram Kutateladze. He's twelve and three, taking on Elvis Brenner, who's fourteen and three. And currently, they got it. Guram minus six hundred. The comeback on Elvis is plus four twenty five. So Elvis trains out to shoot the box with Charles Dubronx Oliveira, with uh, Daniel Willie Cat Santos, Alan Nascimento, all those guys. And look, he's a dangerous guy. He's got eleven wins by submission. 
never been finished by knockout or submission. Um, and he's just a guy that's been around the block. The times that he's had trouble is kind of, uh, you know, these close decisions sometimes haven't gone his way. I think he's a little bit more on the less athletic side for kind of the shooto box guys. Like, I don't think you'll see as many flashy techniques as you do, you know, with a Bronx or with a Willie Cat, but I still think you will see that veteran savvy from a guy like Elvis Brenner. Uh, with Guram, I mean, look, for only two UFC fights, if you go 50-50 with Gamra and 50-50 with Ismagulov, like I know exactly where you stand now. I still want to see some more. I still want to see him. I want to see if he can go on a little streak here, get some consistency because he does have a reputation for pulling out of a lot of fights. And back in the day, he lost to Oliver Endcamp, which it was in 2014, which is so fucking long ago. But, um, you know, we can always make jokes about how no guy that lost to Oliver Endcamp is beating so and so in a fight, you know, you know, all that bullshit. But, but take that aside. Look what the guy's done since then. And look what he's done in the UFC, most importantly. He's shown he's on that level with elite guys. So now, now I want to see, you know, your first. I want to see if you can be the first man in MMA history to finish Elvis Brenner. And if not, I want to see if you can dominate him. Because if it's another close fight, then I'm still questioning where he stands. But that being said, he's minus 600 for a reason, and he will be my pick. Yeah, you know, you said we forgot to break down this fight. I mean, is there really that much to break down? I mean, he's a minus 600 favorite for a reason. You mentioned a lot of the reasons why. Like, I think he's clearly a better striker, more powerful, all of the above, really. And Brenner is a guy who kind of surprised me a little bit in his UFC debut, but I think that was more so Tukagov just being, you know, not a bum, but he's always had cardio issues. He's always kind of fought down to the level of competition. Um, so I, I think it was more of, a Brenner that, that being a matchup thing. And I think this is a rough matchup for him. If he's unable to grapple Kudalatse and I don't expect him to, then I think he gets out, outpointed here on the feet, maybe even knocked out. Like you mentioned. Um, I think that's really the only interesting part of this matchup is does Kudalatse win a decision or does he get the knockout? And I think that's, um, pretty much the only way this fight plays out. So I'm going Kudalatse as well. I lean a decision. Well, John Kelly, we did it. It's going on this Saturday night, live at the Apex in Las Vegas. Strickland versus Abus should be a hell of a fight that's going to let us know a lot. I mean, all these fights are going to let us know a lot. This is, you know, there are some spots, but there's also some sit back and just, you know, make reads for future reference um, type spots on this car. So I'm excited about that. Uh, John, thanks for coming on. All the fans can follow you at John Kelly DFS. Any last message uh, for the fans before we get out of here? No, man. As always, I appreciate you having me on. And thanks for uh, being patient with my uh, technical difficulties as well. And, uh, yeah, excited for this weekend. And best of luck to everybody. Oh, uh, no, the pleasure is mine. I mean, as you can see, no one could even tell that anything even happened. You know, that's why we work these things out. And, uh, you know, that's why we stay patient. So much respect. And thanks for doing the show with me. To all the fans, I mean, thank you guys so much. You know, I can't thank you all enough for all your support, whether you've been down with me since day one or whether you've just, you know, discovered me recently. I'm equally, equally appreciative. And it was cool these last three weeks at PFL. I got to meet a lot of really awesome people from MMA Twitter. Um, so yeah, man, I'm really feeling the love this Friday. Got the technique of the week dropping. Um, got my boy Madi Wiz Bets or Wiz Does now. Uh, he's actually my guest on the technique of the week. And if y'all were a fan of that, uh, Tom Aspinall versus Alexander Volkov finish, then you will be a fan of the technique we're dropping on Friday. Um, 
late morning, early afternoon. So stay tuned to that. Also, like I said, smash that like button, hit that subscribe button, leave me a comment when this is done, follow John Kelly, and I really appreciate it. So y'all have a good time. And until the next time, let's cash these bets.